Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. Yes, back to Luke. We are, if you're not familiar with this place, we, we take breaks from this, but basically we just go through the Bible. Nothing fancy, uh, just verse by verse. In fact, the passage that I'm going to preach out of this morning uh, is, we've already looked at twice. <laughs> uh, but, you know, no, no one's in a hurry here, you know, and so um, we just chew on it. And I want to take another swipe at uh, this passage of Scripture that we looked at several weeks ago. It's from Luke chapter 3, and I'm reading from the TNIV version. This is uh, about John the Baptist out in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. And this is the introduction of the Messiah. And it says this in verse 15. It says, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John, that's John the Baptist, if he might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all. And now here's the first thing that John says about the Messiah. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptizo in Greek. It means to immerse. He'll immerse you in the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the first word that John says about the Messiah. The distinguishing mark of the Messiah is that he's going to start a revolution which we will be characterized by people being immersed in this Holy Spirit and therefore immersed in fire. I want to talk again about this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Another verse I want us to look at comes from Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul's talking about this and he says, Do not get drunk on wine. And the, the connotation there in the Greek is really stop being drunk with, with wine now that you're followers of Jesus. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled any longer with wine. That leads you to debaucherous things. Rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, by way of review, we saw a couple weeks ago that there is this thing, this distinct uh, event, if you will, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. All believers have the Holy Spirit. In fact, you couldn't be a believer unless you had the Holy Spirit because Paul says... In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, that, that no one can even confess, genuinely profess Jesus as Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you to become a believer. The Holy Spirit empowers you to surrender to Jesus Christ. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides in you. But that's not the same as saying that every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is talking to believers in Ephesians chapter 5, and then he tells them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the tense of the original has the connotation of be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to believers. So clearly, being a believer doesn't mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit, though it does mean that you have the Holy Spirit. But this filling of the Holy Spirit or this baptism of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us, is something that we're to be questing after, we're to be praying for, we're to be asking God for. Uh, we see uh, in the book of Acts that the disciples, they were believers, and so they, they had the Holy Spirit, and yet Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the power from on high, verse 8 of chapter 1, where he says, then you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So they were believers, and yet they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, we find the Samaritans. Many of them converted to Christianity, believed the teaching of Philip. They were baptized. They believe in Jesus. And yet, it says that they called the apostles to come up to Samaria from Jerusalem in order to pray for the Samaritans that they might receive this baptism or this infilling of the Holy Spirit. So there's two distinct things there. Having the Holy Spirit as a believer and being filled with the Spirit. And all believers are supposed to pray for, seek, aspire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw several weeks ago that there are some who teach that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Spirit, you'll speak in tongues, which is a God-given supernatural language. It can be a human language or an angelic language. And that is a legitimate gift of the Spirit. But what we saw several weeks ago is that it's really bad exegesis to think that that is the only sign or the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, any number of things can happen. And the Bible talks about a number of things happening. The thing that we read most about in the book of Acts is when the Holy Spirit fills somebody or they're baptized in the Spirit, they prophesy. What simply means they speak the word of God boldly. They've got this, this uh, power to, to just have the, the word of God and have it have authority. Jesus says that when the power from on high comes upon you, you'll be witnesses to me. Which doesn't necessarily mean just with our mouth. But rather, when a person is filled with the Spirit, their life is a witness. Their life puts a, as an, becomes an advertisement to the reality of the kingdom. And the fruit of the Spirit is intensified in their life. The the love of the kingdom is there. The joy of the kingdom is there. The power of the kingdom is there. Uh, They radiate the power and the glory of God. And the gifts of the Spirit that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 14, they can be present in a believer's life as well. So there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You begin to understand what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit by the analogy that Paul uses in Ephesians 5. And this is why I'm entitling this message, Coming Under the Influence. I'm playing off of Paul's analogy in Ephesians 5, where he says, he's drawing a parallel here, don't be drunk with wine any longer, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Don't fill yourself up with alcohol any longer, but rather get full of God. Now, here's the thing. When a person drinks too much alcohol, and by the way, uh, you know, the Bible, there's a prohibition in the Bible against drunkenness, but there's not against wine or alcohol in general. Uh, though many people, and I respect this, have the conviction that they don't want to have anything to do with alcohol, and that's wonderful. But Paul says you know, to Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach's sake. But don't get drunk. That's the, the, the divide there. And if he draws this analogy. You see, when a person drinks too much alcohol, they sometimes will do things they otherwise wouldn't do. And that's really what Paul's worried about. He says it'll lead to debauchery. Uh, When you come under the influence of alcohol, you can say things and do things that you might regret later. Uh, You're under the influence. A power that is not your own. You're not under your own control as much as you need to be. My father, God bless him, he became a believer the last 10 years of his life. But uh, the man liked his liquor. He he, he drank quite a bit. And uh, sometimes when he'd get drunk. He would say things and do things that he otherwise wouldn't do. Some of it was actually kind of nice because he would, uh, (laughs) if anyone quotes me out of context on this message, I'm done for. But, uh, you know, like for example, he would sometimes get mushy-gushy and say, I love you. The only time I ever heard him say, I love you is when he was slightly inebriated. 
Uh, you know, and he normally wouldn't say that. Other times, less pretty things came out. Uh, if there was a mean streak in my father, it would sometimes come out when he was having too much to drink. There was one time when I was about 10, 11 years old, I guess, and we used to have this little boat, and we'd go out on the St. Croix and, and find a little island and park there and meet up with some friends who had boats. And, and uh, it would always happen that my dad would start pounding down the, the drinks out there in the hot sun. Bad idea. At the end of the day, we'd come back, we'd park in, in Prescott, Wisconsin, and, and we'd load the boats onto the boat trailers. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people on the river back in those days, I'm sure it doesn't happen now, but back in those days, a lot of people drank all day long, so you get a bunch of drunks in Prescott trying to load their boats onto these trailers, and it didn't always work very well. Uh, and the sun starts going down, and the mosquitoes come out, so people start getting ornery, and people start saying and doing things they otherwise wouldn't do, but because they're inebriated, they're saying them and doing them. And my father, there's a guy in front of us who clearly doesn't know what the blank he's doing, uh, trying to load this boat. That's why it's taking so long. So my dad decides in his infinite wisdom to go and help the guy and says, Hey, dude, you know, what's wrong with you? What are you, stupid? You're supposed to do it this way and blah, 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 blah. The guy doesn't appreciate this. He starts talking back to my dad. He's kind of inebriated too. And before you know it, I don't know who threw the first punch, but we have a brawl going on. And then that guy's friends join in, and my dad's friends join in. And as a 10-year-old, this is like the best entertainment in town, you know, past the popcorn. Uh, you know, but the point is that when you're under the influence, you do things, you know, that are stupid and say things that are absolutely stupid. And so Paul says, don't be stupid. Don't surrender your volition to alcohol, but surrender your volition to the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit ever makes us robots. But he's saying, come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that a person is controlled by alcohol and is moving them to do things they otherwise wouldn't do, so also believers are to, to be a people who are empowered by, infused by, influenced by the Holy Spirit. And that power from on high moves us to do things we otherwise wouldn't be capable of doing. Moves us to think about things we otherwise wouldn't be thinking about. Moves us to say things we otherwise wouldn't be saying. Moves us to be in line with God's will and empowers us to be in, God, in line with God's will in a way we never otherwise could be. The kingdom revolution, we're learning from these passages, is to be a spirit-inspired revolution. The kingdom isn't supposed to, this kingdom that Jesus came to establish with his life, ministry, and death, it's, not a, 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 it's supposed to be a group of people who just have some good ideas and do good deeds. No, the, the, the kingdom of God is to be about power, spiritual power. Not power to control people, but power to do God's will and to serve people and to look like Jesus Christ. There's to be a spiritual anointing that characterizes uh, the kingdom of God. We're to come under the influence of the Spirit the same way some people come under the influence of alcohol. And he wants to lead us and guide us. Paul uses a lot of expressions uh, to, to capture this coming under the influence. He says, walk in the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5. Be led by the Spirit. That is, go in directions you otherwise wouldn't go in, but because the Spirit's moving in your life. Be led. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in sync with the Spirit. In Romans 8, he says, be controlled by the Spirit. And so this kingdom revolution is to be a, a, a revolution of people who are just 
being influenced, moved by, driven by, led by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see this in the ministry of Jesus. Luke in particular talks about how Jesus was led by the Spirit to go here. And Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to do this, that, or the other thing. And in the book of Acts, we find the same thing about the disciples. The, the, the Holy Spirit would lead them to go to one town. And the Holy Spirit would say, don't bother with Bithynia. I want you to go to Macedonia. And they were led by, directed by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was a supernatural movement. It wasn't just a movement of good ideas and, and good deed doers. It, was, it had a supernatural dimension to it. And people were walking in step with that. The kingdom is to be a spiritually empowered revolution. When you take the Spirit of God out of Christianity, what you get is a shell of Christianity. It's got the exterior, maybe it looks the same on the outside, but the reality, the power, the joy, the peace, and the presence of God is missing. When you take the Spirit of God out of Christianity, what you get is just a Christian version of dead religion. Where the Spirit of God isn't present, what you'll find oftentimes is this. If God's not controlling people, other people start to control people. Someone steps up to the plate and starts to do the Holy Spirit's job. And so what you'll find is in, in, among people who, uh, for whom the, the Spirit of God is just not present, they're not open to that, you'll often, not always, but often find a tendency towards legalism, a sort of obsession with rules, uh, people trying to control behavior through manipulation and shame. It's because the Spirit of God isn't there, the reality isn't there, so they try to compensate for it by, by manipulating behavior and controlling behavior. This is why Paul says that the letter, and he's talking about scripture here, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And what he's saying here, and some of us know this from experience, is that even the Bible, which is the inspired Word of God, if you're in an environment where the Spirit of God isn't present, this becomes, becomes a dangerous weapon. And some people will use it to control and to manipulate and connive and damage people and shame people or whatever. When the Spirit of God isn't influencing a place, people, other people step in to do the job. And what we're learning from these passages is this. God doesn't want that. What God wants is a body of people who know His reality, who don't just know about Him, but who know Him. The revolution's supposed to be a Spirit-inspired, spirit Spirit-infused revolution where people are filled with the Spirit of God. Because where the Spirit of God is present, God's life is present. You just radiate life. You're under the influence of God's life. You're under the influence of God's love. And, and God is transforming people from the inside out, so you don't have people having to step up to the plate and try to control people on their own. Where the Spirit of God is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, there is freedom. There's a freedom. There's a liberty. I don't need to please you, and you don't need to please me because God is working on both of our, our insides. And I can just trust that God's working in your life, and you trust that God's working in my life. And the Spirit of God grows us together. So we don't need to be legislating one another and moralizing over one another. We just surrender to the Holy Spirit. And where the power of God is, the life of God is there, the joy is there, the kingdom is present in all of his power. That's what the kingdom of God revolution is to be like. And, and, and Woodland Hills people, let me just challenge you with this. We desperately need to always be calling out to God to send his spirit, to fill us with his spirit, to baptize us with his spirit. Yesterday's anointing wasn't good enough. I know. 
God is the God of the present. I don't care how great it was a year ago or last decade. It actually bothers me when I find people continually testifying about what God did in the 1970s. Praise God for the 1970s. We're in the third millennium. Let's get with the program. We want God to show up right here and right now and move in this place. That's why Paul says, be continually filled with the Spirit. If I'm going to use his analogy you know, a little further, it would be like this. Uh, look, you may have, I hope you didn't, but you may have got drunk yesterday, but you're sober today. You see, uh, if, if you're going to stay drunk, you've got to get drunk all over again. <laughs> you can quote me on that. Uh, in, the same way, in the same way, folks, you know what? Every day is new. Every day is that this is the moment to seek God, to say, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Thank God for what happened last week, but, and praise God for that. But in the kingdom of God, there is no coasting. Because the kingdom of God is about life, and life doesn't coast. Life doesn't live in the past. Life doesn't ride on yesterday's successes. Life is right here. It's right now. And God is present right here and right now. So now is the time to say, Lord, send your spirit. Anoint our worship music. Anoint our messages. Anoint our children's ministry. Anoint me at the work. Anoint me at my office. Anoint me in my neighborhood to walk with a new uh, infusion of the sweet wine of the Holy Spirit. Every day we're to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The easiest thing in the world is to just start kind of going on your own resources, living off of your own resources. You know, just coasting on your own speaking ability or your own ability to sing music or your own ability to come up with programs. And it may look the same to others on the outside, but what happens is if we don't stay hungry and thirsty for the presence of God, as the bottom begins to drop out and you start to become a shell, and it just begins to be a little bit shallow. Something's missing. The life isn't here. Uh, Enthusiasm gets cranked up and drummed up and manipulated up, but it doesn't rise naturally because the presence of God isn't here. We need to call out to God. Uh, Pray with me here just right right at this moment. Father, we're saying, we're confessing that our, 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 our speaking and our singing and our living has no kingdom value without you, Lord. We're confessing our desperate need for you, Lord. We're confessing our inability to do anything of kingdom value unless you, Holy Spirit, are moving in our life. Lord, Bring us under the influence of the Spirit. You have told us that if we ask, you will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. So we're asking you, Lord, send your Spirit right here and right now. Like a rushing mighty wind, come into this place. Fill your people to the brim. Intoxicate us with the Holy Spirit. Intoxicate us with your joy. Intoxicate us with your power. Have your way right here and right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 No coasting. No coasting. No coasting. Okay, now I want to get very, very practical. I also want to get very, very fast because I've got 15 minutes here. That was my intro. Okay. <laughs> I want to get very practical here. Um, how? I, I'm aware of the, the fact that there are probably some of us in this auditorium who we're talking about the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit, infused by the Spirit, influenced by the Spirit, yada, yada. And you know kind of what that means. But it could be the case that there's nothing in your experience to hang that on. What does that look like on the inside? What is that, you know, like? I mentioned several weeks ago uh, this, or no, actually it was last week, this man that came down from Norway uh, to meet me in London. And he basically just wanted to you know, thank Woodland Hills for being his lifeline in Norway and for giving him uh, permission to believe Christianity with intellectual integrity, and it was a wonderful thing. 
But this man was a mathematics professor at a university in Norway. So he's rather cerebrally orientated. And uh, here's his question. One night we were talking, and, and he just said this. He goes, you know, I believe, I believe the Bible and Jesus and all of this. But I can't seem to get on the inside of it. I feel like an outsider looking in. Um, I, I, I'm in worship services, and I see people getting blessed and laughing and crying, and, but I don't feel anything. And people say, oh, the presence of God is, is so thick in this place, but I don't feel anything. And people talk about being led by God and hearing from God and being influenced by God, but I don't hear or feel influenced in anything. In fact, my life feels almost exactly the same now as it did before I was a believer. How do I get on the inside of this? You see? And so I want to talk about this. How, how, how do we come under the influence and live under the influence? And maybe the best way is to ask the question, what keeps us from coming under the influence? And the answer I want to give here this morning, in one little word as succinct as I can, is the word clutter. Everybody say clutter. Clutter, clutter I'm telling you, is the problem. Clutter is the problem. Think of it this way. Here's my little bowl of rocks. Some of you are wondering, why does he have a bowl of rocks up there? I will now tell you. I pour my water into the rocks, and I fill the bowl with water. Mm. Little for you, little for me. Here we go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, now would you say that this bowl is full of water? Well, in one sense, obviously it's full of water. I can't pour any more water in it. So in one sense, it's full of water. But in another sense, it's not full of water because it's full of a lot of other things. Other clutter. Uh, the, the rocks are, are, are taking up space that could have belonged to the water. If I were to take the rocks out of here, you'd see that the water would go down at least 50%, maybe more. See, this is the way a lot of our lives are. We have the Holy Spirit, but there's a, we also have a lot of other stuff that crowds out the Holy Spirit. Really, the baptism of the Spirit or the fullness of the Spirit being influenced by the Spirit is not so much a matter of getting more of God, but it's a, rather a matter of getting less of you, getting stuff out that, that really doesn't belong there. We clutter things up. To go back to Paul's analogy of between being baptized in the Spirit and being filled with wine, some of you might possibly perhaps know from experience that if you drink alcohol on an empty stomach, it's got a little more zing than if you drink alcohol on a full stomach. Um, and again, I want to acknowledge that there are people who say, gosh, you shouldn't even talk about alcohol, and you have a conviction against you know, not drinking at all. I bless you on that. Uh, but from a biblical perspective, the, the key is moderation. And so, um, uh, you know, and everyone's kind of got to find their own way on that. But when you drink alcohol on an empty stomach, man, it hits you. Uh, whereas if you drink it, if you just ate something, it, it, it doesn't, you don't come under the influences readily. My wife will tell you, my wonderful wife who's right over there, and my friends and my small group will tell you that I have a rather remarkable uh, tolerance towards alcohol. Uh, I, don't I, 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 just, I can drink some wine and, and, and it doesn't affect me. It's, it's like seven bottles and I, I, I no, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding, I'm just kidding. No, it, it just doesn't, I, I, I must have a good liver or something, it doesn't affect me. But a couple months ago, I had one of these days, you know, where you're, I was so busy, I had so much going on, you know, just like, just so much to do that I never got around to eating and, and I didn't even notice it. You ever have days like that? 
So that night I'm fried and I'm just like burned out. I want to just sit. We call it vegging in front of the television. I want to veg. And so I sit down in front of the television and I have a glass of wine. And I have the glass and all of a sudden I stand up and it's like, woo. That doesn't usually happen. Now, I, I was not drunk. I didn't cross that line. I had what David says in, calls in, in Psalms 104, verse 15, a happy heart. <laughs> happy heart. You got, the, got a happy heart. Very important. You read Psalms 104, verse 15. Thank the Lord who gives us wine to make the heart glad. Okay, I had a glad heart. It's like, But see, normally, I, normally I, wouldn't been, I wouldn't have felt that at all. It was very unusual. The difference was that I had an empty stomach. So also, and here's the analogy, and maybe it's really a bad one for a pastor to use. I'll grant you that. That's what came to me. Um, but it's when we empty our life of things that compete with God that we come under the influence. You, you, you quicken your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You can sense the power and the presence of God more, not because you got more of God, but because there's less stuff cluttering it up. Let me talk about two kinds of clutter that we have in our life. The first one I could call heart clutter. And what I mean by that is this. It can happen to us that we have core affections in our life that compete with God. We love in an inappropriate way a multitude of things. Now, it's okay to enjoy and like a multitude of things. But what I'm talking about is this. We sometimes can get to the point where something in our life or something about our life becomes a source of life for us. It becomes a means by which we take on meaning. It gives us purpose. It gives us value. It makes us feel good about ourselves. It becomes a source of life. At that point, the Bible calls it an idol. An idol isn't a little Buddha statue someplace. An idol is anything that plays a God role in our life. Because Jesus Christ wants to be our only source of life. The only means by which we feel valued, our, our, our core identity and worth is to come from Him. And people can get life from a lot of different things. It may be your tremendous beauty or your rugged good looks or it could be your talents and how good you can sing or how good you can play football or how sexual you are. It might be your possessions or it might be all the wealth that you can accumulate or it might be your car. Anything can become a source of life for you. It can become an idol when it's kind of what makes your life okay, makes you feel fully alive. And see, every one of those core affections... They pull us in different directions. They take a piece of us. Or, to use this analogy, they're like rocks in our soul. And they dilute the influence. They dilute the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's okay to like your good looks. Don't get life from it, though. It's okay to like the fact that, that uh, you're good at something. Just don't get life from it. It's okay to like the fact that you believe that you're right in all of your opinions. Wonderful. But don't get life from it. It's okay to like your religion, but don't get life from it. It's okay to like your nationality, but don't get life from it. Because the core biblical teaching is this. Jesus Christ wants to be, and in fact is, our only source of life. Amen? He wants to be, he wants to be. Jesus Christ wants to be the thing that gives your life meaning, the source of your core joy, the source of your core worth. Jesus Christ wants to be the fundamental reason why you get out of bed in the morning. He wants to be the, the, the thing that your life is most focused on, the, the, the source of all of your self-esteem comes from the person of Jesus Christ, the fundamental source of your joy. Okay to like a lot of stuff, 
but only get life out of your personal relationship with him. Get life from Jesus Christ. And you see, as we purify our vision for Jesus Christ, as we get rid of, unclutter ourselves of all competition, you'll find that like wine on an empty stomach, you, begin, you become more sensitive, more aware. You develop that sense of the Holy Spirit. And you come under the powerful zing of the sweet wine of the Holy Spirit. I think I'm quite done with that analogy. Thank you very much. All right? So there's heart clutter we need to get rid of. Secondly, we need to get rid of mind clutter. Mind clutter. Now this one's a little bit hard to get our, 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 our minds around because we're so used to this. But here's the thing. Our brains are always chattering. Perpetual chatter machines. Lock yourself in the closet and try not to think a thought. Guaranteed in five seconds, you'll be going, how am I doing? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, why am I doing this again? Oh, I, what, I, I wonder what I, what, should, what should I get him for his birthday? The, the, you, you, your brain, it's a, it, it won't shut up. It's a perpetual, it's constantly going. Now, that's normal, except this. You see, if all of our thinking is simply our thinking, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have any way to get a word in edgewise. You can think of it like this. Uh, let's see here. Uh, young man, here, would you come up here? Would you, would you come up this, I know. I, 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 I didn't mean to wake you up. Sorry. But, um, uh, okay, can you tell everyone your name? Greg. This is Greg. Oh, yeah. Greg's unite. All right, now look at it. Now, now Greg, uh, why don't you just like talk to me a little bit, tell me a little bit about yourself, what's important to you, and that way I can use it as an illustration. So go ahead and start talking. I just wish he'd start talking. The guy's not talking. Uh, you know, his illustration, I'm up here. If I was asked what I thought about, go ahead and start yes. talking. Uh, that, that I'd have a lot to say. I could talk about how I ran over my daughter's foot last Sunday. It was really kind of embarrassing. I thought a broken back, this thing happened. So, you know, I wish the guy would start talking. Why aren't you talking to me, Greg? Talk to me. Talk to me. Okay. All right. Now, was he talking or not? I don't know. But because, see, here's the thing. As long as I'm talking, I can't hear him talking. Uh, I, you know, did you ever talk to people like that? You go, hi, and then starts a monologue. It's like pushing a little button with this, you know, <laughs> chatty, pa- chatty, Kathy doll, or patty, Kathy, patty, chatty, patty, uh, patty, Kathy, what, what, uh, okay, chatty, Kathy, whatever. You pull the little string, and then, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, people like that, you know, you can't have a conversation with them because it, it's just a monologue. So also, look at if our brains are on always in monologue mode, if there's no part of it that's listening, how is the Holy Spirit ever going to talk to us and lead us and guide us? Now, I, I, I wanted to stay up here for another illustration. Okay. Here's how the Holy Spirit talks to us. God honors you as a person. Very rarely does God just bulldoze over somebody. Uh, the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is like, a, like this. Feel that? little nudge. Now, if Greg here was preoccupied with something else, and I went like this, he probably couldn't feel it. Only if Greg is looking for it. If there's a part of his consciousness that is wondering when a tap might come, will he feel that? Give Greg a hand. You are splendid. Everyone. All right. Here's the thing. When we are, when our brains are full of clutter, God can't get a word in edgewise. This is why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, 
No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Why? So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Um, the, the soldiers have to be involved somewhat in civilian affairs. They've got to go shopping. They've got to do ordinary life stuff. But what Paul is saying is don't be so defined by your ordinary affairs, so absorbed by your civilian affairs, that you forget why you're there in the first place. And your first and primary job is to please your enlisting officer, which means there's got to be part of your inner world which is listening to your commanding officer. We need to learn to create a space inside of us that notices the nudges, that notices the, 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 the little impressions that the Holy Spirit gives us. If we're ever going to walk under the influence, live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we've got to learn to create a space that's always listening. Whatever else we're doing, our ear is cupped because we know that our most fundamental job in life as kingdom people is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and be used by God to build His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When, when, when in the book of Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit told Paul not to go to Bithynia, but to rather go to, to Macedonia. Do you really think it was like some kind of megaphone coming out of the sky like a Monty Python movie and, and the Holy Spirit going, Hey, Paul, don't go to Bithynia, go to Macedonia. I don't think so. Rather, the Holy Spirit spoke to them the way the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. It's just that Paul had developed a capacity to hear, to feel, to sense the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so it all comes down to this, folks. Can we develop the ability to be aware of God, to have a part of our, uh, of our brain that's set aside to listen whatever we're doing? Because if we do, you'll find that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and move you. Every day, God's talking to us. Look, at what would a marriage be like if, if you went a day or a week without talking, if the couple went a week or a day without talking to one another? That's kind of a stinky marriage, don't you think? I mean, you need to be talking all the time. It's community. Well, we're married to God. We're, we're the bride of Christ. Do you think our, our groom doesn't want to talk to us? No, he, he's our head. We're the body, to change the analogy. Do you, how often does my body not listen to my head? Well, hopefully whenever I'm awake, my body is listening to my head. So also, the Holy Spirit's talking to us. But we've got to learn to listen to those, that still, small voice, that gentle nudge. It may come in the way of a sense, a hunch. It may come with a kind of a picture you get. It may come with an idea that sort of pops out of nowhere. It may come as a word that comes into your, your brain. It, it, it's a little different for all of us, but we all need to learn this language. And I want to encourage us as people of God to start paying attention to that. Now, we're used to just being our own monologue in our head. So this takes discipline. You might have to put post-it notes around to, you know, remind yourself, listen to God. What is God saying to you? Learn to walk in that question. What is God saying? Is God talking to you, leading you right here and right now? Now, I want to be careful that we don't have people who think that every thought they think is God. And there are some people like that, too. The way you know what God thinks is that they're thinking it, you know? And, 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 you know, so there has to be some differentiation between what you think and what God thinks. But most of us, we live in a psychoanalyzed world in the West, and we're conditioned to believe that everything that happens in our head and everything we feel is our own doing. And I'm here to tell you, no, that God wants to talk with us, wants to speak with us. When you, if you're listening, there may be a time when all of a sudden you have an impression, maybe I should call this person. Maybe I need to, right now I feel like I need to pray for, for this. Right now I feel like I need to say this to this person. Uh, gosh, I feel like I'm supposed to give that person on the street some money. Uh, and and a, 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 as you obey that, as you step out, you'll find in time that there are what we call kingdom coincidences. 
where all of a sudden you begin to understand why God was leading you in a certain way. And as you progress in this, you begin to be able to tell the difference between your own thinking and the Spirit speaking. As a way of moving forward, I encourage people to do this. If no harm will come of it, and if only good can come of it, then go with it. Just go with it. Don't overanalyze stuff. Pay attention to the promptings in your heart. I want to end with this challenge, kind of an assignment. Will you this week, as a way of trying to get in the habit of asking God, what is he saying to you, try to at least once every day this week respond to an impression or an impulse, a leading, a voice, a word, a picture, whatever, and do something you otherwise wouldn't do. Something that just breaks up the rigid pattern of your life. And I encourage you to write that down. Some people find that keeping a spiritual journal is a real powerful way to grow. Write down what God's telling you. Write down what you did. And you might find later on some confirmation that this was something of God. We are the sheep. We're to hear our shepherd's voice. We are the bride. We're to listen to the groom. Keep your walkie-talkie on. Make room in your life for part of this.